Thanks for joining us and supporting Vikido Fitness. We ask for your continued support by becoming an It's All About Health and Fitness premium member. Go to www.vikidofitness.com forward slash join. Again, that's www.vikidofitness.com forward slash join and register for a $6 monthly subscription. And remember, keep listening, sharing, and checking us out. The views and opinions expressed are for general informational purposes only. Consult with your physician or medical health care provider for medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Today, we talk about overcoming and conquering our fears. What are you afraid of? Experts encourage us to keep a daily journal and jot down anything that is significant to us. By transferring our fears and symptoms into writing, we demystify them, and they are no longer so big and frightening. Joining us is Dr. Tamika Ellington. She is a motivational speaker, a CEO and founder of First Generation Revolutionaries, and author of her books, Make Fear Your Superpower and Be the Goat. She is with us today to give us tips on how we can overcome obstacles and fear and become the exceptional person that we all can be. All this and more on It's All About Health and Fitness. Welcome to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. This program is brought to you by Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum. Now, here's your host, Vicki Doe and D. Banks-Bright. I'm Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe, and with me is the one and only Dr. Virginia D. Banks-Bright. How are you, D.? I am doing great. Vicki, how are you? I am fine. And I can say, you know, we always talk about the weather when we start out. It's sunshine. <laughs> I know. It's nice. It's it, actually very nice outside. Not too hot. It's really very comfortable. Very comfortable. And so this very is comfortable. This is definitely a great day. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Me too. Me too. Yes, and we are back in the hot seat today, right? <laughs> yes, we are. Yes, Absolutely we are. are. Yes, we are. And today we talk about overcoming and conquering our fears. What do you fear and have anxiety about? Well, fear is a normal reaction that helps to protect us from bodily harm. Anxiety is a type of fear dealing more with worry and the future rather than fearing something that is present. However, living a life of fearfulness and anxiety causes harm to our physical and mental stability, which can lead a person to avoid situations or ignore them. But guess what? That is no way to live. You know, just think of the many opportunities that you might miss out on or you might be missing out on simply because you are afraid. Well, there are several strategies that the experts use, health fitness professionals use that will help you to um, overcome your fears and anxiety so that you can move on. You can conquer and you can achieve your goals no matter what they are. Now, one important strategy is to face your fears head on. So when you turn toward your fear rather than away from it, you notice things about your fear that you didn't know before. And this awareness help you, it helps you overcome it. One way would be to keep a daily journal over a period of maybe two to three weeks you jot down anything that seems significant and transferring your fear patterns and symptoms into writing can help demystify them. They are no longer so big and insurmountable. That means you can overcome these fears when you sit and write it down. You go, okay, this is why I'm fearing 
but this is how maybe I can overcome this fear. And yes, you can conquer your fears and you can find that inner courage that we all possess. What do you think, Dee? You know, I have some fears, you know, a lot of it is is my own mindset, you know? I do too. Yeah, I'm probably my own worst enemy. Yeah, sometimes we think about what we're fearing and it's like, you know, why are we fearing that? Let's let's at least give it exactly. a try. Yeah, right? Exactly. Well, we have today joining us Dr. Tamika Ellerton, an internationally acclaimed awarded scholar, motivational speaker and author. Dr. Tamika is the CEO and founder of First Generation Revolutionaries, a movement, a platform where she um, helps organizations and institutions revolutionize their thinking for greater personal and career success. She has authored two books, Make Fear Your Superpower and Be the Goat as well. Dr. Tamika Ellerton will share with us her story of being a first-generation student and the challenges that she overcame. She will also talk about her book, Make Fear Your Superpower, and give us tips on how we can all overcome obstacles and fear and become the exceptional person that we all can be. I'm looking forward to it. Yes. <laughs> you are looking forward to it. It's going to be a this is going to be an outstanding episode, right, D? <laughs> I agree. I agree. You know, just like I said, and I'm sitting here trying to think of all the fears that I have and how I over and I'm not a good jotting down person when you were talking about that either. You know, that's a good strategy. Mhm. Jot it down, right? Jot it down. It's yeah, yeah, it's something yeah. it's something about putting a pencil and paper and and going through the process of writing that it triggers right. your brain. It's a, it's a good stimulation for your brain. Yeah. Well, folks, make sure you subscribe to this show. It's all about health and fitness. Vicky Doe Fitness on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or any of the platforms that you listen to your podcast. When you subscribe to this show, you will be notified when we post a new show. And you will be able to listen to our inspirational health and wellness shows as soon as they are posted. So go subscribe today. Now, as usual, I always like to toot my own horn and toot our own <laughs> horn. Right, D. We got some outstanding yeah. guests coming up. We got outstanding yeah. guests coming up. We are definitely going to be talking about men's health. Yes, you know, we, we love our men. We love our our men out there and we're definitely going to be talking about men's health. We got someone that's coming to talk about that. We also going to talk about the importance of the arts. We we want to <laughs> really look into the arts because that's that's a field out there that is important and we want to check it out. See if embracing diversity and inclusion is happening, you know, for our artists of color. And we have a lady that is coming to really talk about that with us. Then we also have, we're going to be talking about community health resources. And we always go back when it comes to health and wellness. We always talk about the importance of having these resources placed in the community so that people who need these resources will have access to them. And so we're going to be talking with someone about community health and the resources. And so, yes, we have interesting topics and outstanding guests coming soon. And so make sure you subscribe to this show. And last but not least, make sure you rate and review this show. This is how we grow and increase our listeners. Yes, we appreciate you, and we're so glad that you are tuning in to us for our shows each week. And as always, what do we say, D? Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Well, D, uh, I have to remind folks, you know, I keep reminding folks, because once August hit, 
you know, fall is here, and then next thing you know, it's the beginning of the new year. Over. <laughs> it's over. It is over. The days are already, I noticed this morning, I woke up at 6 o'clock, and it was dark, kind of dark. Yeah. It's over. It's, it's coming. It's coming. Yes, it is. It is. Yes. And I, some people have already gone back to school. Some school systems in some states, the kids have already gone back to school. That's depressing. I know, that is. A lot of schools will be starting. Some have already started now. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. we're, we're moving. Time is moving fast. That's what I would say. It is. It, is it mo- absolutely is. It's definitely moving fast. I was thinking, too, I was like, huh, I know there's some people out there doing their Christmas and their holiday shopping now, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs> I was like, maybe oh, we should, funny. right? You know, that's shoot. That's funny. That is funny. Maybe they own the something, huh? <laughs> <laughs> maybe we should. You yes. know, I'm always, do you ever buy stuff after the holidays or immediately over? Do you buy stuff in the stores like when it goes on sale like the next morning or something? Yes. Now, that's what I do. You I, do? I shop okay. after the holidays. I'm bad about that. Yeah. yeah, I'm bad about that. Because okay. that's when things go down big time. 50% yeah. off. Yeah. 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 That's exactly. the best time. Yeah, yeah that's the best time. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. maybe I'm I'm not d- good about that. I know. But hey, that's for us folks that like to shop and now stuff is online now. It's just like a a button. Oh, yeah. It's like oh, yeah, click them. Click them and then your yeah. your stuff is right at Amazon your door. Is- Amazon is so easy. You click it, and it's almost like not, 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 not. That's it, right at your door. So it's amazing, yeah. It is amazing, yeah. but yeah, yeah. So I just been, you know, enjoying this weather and um, trying to get my mindset. This is the end of the year coming soon. School will be back. I do have to teach this semester, so I'm trying to get organized for that. And then we got great stuff coming up for our online presence with Vicky Doe Fitness Academy. So, yeah, uh-huh. this uh-huh. End of the, yeah. the end of the year is coming fast. <laughs> it is. It's, it's coming very fast. Uh, you know, we've been, I've been going to uh, Blossom just kind of get a little bit of culture. Went out to see James Taylor and Jackson Brown last weekend, and that was good. Okay. And then went out to see the Cleveland Orchestra do a Beethoven concert. So that was good. You know, I haven't been to Blossom a lot in the last few years. And just getting back out there in the open air, and it's a lot better access than it used to be, a lot more user-friendly to try to get in there. And they've got a lot of uh, different variety of uh, concession stands, you know, not a lot of, you know, heavy, greasy, unhealthy food. They've got some really nice varieties of things out there. So it was an enjoyable evening. Ran into some of my medical school classmates from Cleveland, so it was fun. That's nice. That's nice. And yeah, it was fun. Like I tell people, you know, yeah, let's get out because in a minute we'll have to be all coming in. And oh yeah, and then yeah, and the nice thing about it, we were all outdoors. People had their mask on, but most people were sitting outside in the open air with their mask on, or they were sitting on the picnic tables away from each other. And it was a, you know, it was. It was I don't want to say this, but it was a crowd that seemed like they knew what was going on. Not like, you know, I'm going to take my mask off and I got my right kind of thing. So, no, it was it was, it was was very nice. So everybody was being proactive. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. What is going on this week, Dee? Everything. Everything. Everything, yes. This is International Overdose Awareness Day. It will be August the 31st. And the reason why I talked about it, because we're so focused on COVID and all of that, that we forget that there is an increase big time. And there was an increase and is an increase of folks overdosing, unfortunately. Yeah, that is still our public health problem is happening because we we focus on around here in the U.S. of A. But this, you know, overdose problem on drugs and all that is an international problem as well. And so the International Overdose Awareness Day will be August the 31st. You know, it says here when I looked up information, it says that International Overdose Awareness Day was initiated in 2001 by Sally J. 
Finn at the Salvation Army in St. Kilda, Melbourne. Since 2001, many community, and this is, that's in Australia, <laughs> in case mm-hmm. people don't know, in case mm-hmm. people don't know, right. that's, that's, in, uh-huh. that's in Australia. And so since um, mm-hmm. 2001, and you went to Australia, didn't you? I did, and I went to Melbourne, yes. Yes, mm-hmm. okay, okay. Would you ever take that trip again? Uh, the answer is yes. It's a long time. There are other places that I want to go before I go back to Australia, but I definitely had a fantastic time. Well, that's that's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. she founded this, um, Sally Finn, since 2001. Many community members, as well as government and non-government organizations, have held events to raise awareness and commemorate those who have been lost to drug overdose. Since 2012, International Overdose Awareness Day has been coordinated by the not-for-profit Australian Public Health Organization, and it's called Pennington Institute. Pennington Institute connects lived experience and researched, so it connects lived or um, experience and, and, and research to improve community safety in relationship to drugs. Their focus is on promoting effective strategies, frontline workforce education and public awareness activities, and their work is a positive impact on people, health and law enforcement systems, the economy, and society. They are an, an independent voice of reason on drug policy and they are having a straight-talking ally. They are a straight-talking ally for practical insights, information, and evidence-based action to people who are in need. I thought this was important because I like their campaign. They raise awareness of overdose. It's international, and it's nice to kind of see what folks in other places are doing because maybe we can learn from what they're doing to help our programs and initiatives here. You can check it out, their goals for their International Overdose Awareness Day spreads the message about the tragedy of drug overdose death and that drug overdose is preventable. And so the goals of International Overdose Awareness Day are, the goals are to provide an opportunity for people to publicly mourn their loved ones in a safe environment and for some, you know, to do that for the first time without feeling guilt or shame. I think this is important that you go check this out. Um, you can, some folks like to, to be involved. It talks about what you can do on that day in your community um, and then you can also you can also donate as well. So go to their website, www.overdoseday.com. And so what do you think about that, Dee? Well, I think that's great because I think a lot of people have forgotten about this. We still have a crisis in, in the world, in the United States and in the world. So, no, I think that's great. I think so, too. And I like how, you know, they, they talk about that it's okay to mourn your loved ones, because it is a, it is kind of a stigma. It's a stigma when you have folks uh, in your family or what have you, just in, in general, when a person, you know, has an overdose, uh, even die from drug overdose. There's a, there's a stigma about that, don't you think? It is. I have three friends right now, right this second, who are mourning the deaths of their sons who overdose. And the question is, when you're dealing with this overdose versus, you know, death, you don't know whether it was an accidental overdose or an intentional, because these drugs that are out there now, you know, a lot of these kids and stuff don't know how how effective or how potent they're going to be. And yes, of course, they're identified as overdose and all from drugs. So yes, I have three friends now that are still getting over well, you don't get over it, that are still grieving. Grieving, yeah. Uh, yeah. About this. Oh, wow. 
Wow, that's terrible. But yeah, it's yeah. it's definitely still an epidemic. So this is something to really think about. This is happening. This International Overdose Day will be happening August the 31st. So yeah, we were talking about pres- the, the past president. Well, not the past president. But- I didn't get my invitation. Where's our invitation? <laughs> I didn't get my invite, bitch. I know. Going up there together. That's it. President Barack Obama. Yeah, we didn't get our yeah. invite. President Obama is turning 60. He's turning 60. Oh, wow. This article was talking about, and they had a notification going out that uh, Barack Obama he scales back his 60th birthday party over COVID concerns. And this was written in The Guardian. But look, when it said about 700 people, I was like, well, shoot. Come on now, <laughs> President Obama. Come on now. Come on now. Who, who thought of that? You're the past president of the United States. Your, your current friend and President Biden is trying to get people to mask up. And, and go back to social distancing and all of that. And you're talking about having a 700-person party in Martha's Vineyard. And you can't be doing that much social distancing on Martha's Vineyard anyway. I mean, <laughs> what was he thinking? What was he thinking? I know. So they were going to... Gonna... I, I just don't get it. I know. So they're scaling back, you know, the big bash planned for his 60th birthday because of the concerns about the national rise in... COVID-19 cases. And this is what a spokesperson said on Wednesday. So, yeah, what do you think about that, D? You know, it's crazy, right? It's it's just crazy. It's just, I'm I'm a little disappointed in people that would pull something like that together during this pandemic. I know. But, yeah, the article says that they were, it it was going to include about 700 people and it was going to have Oprah Winfrey there, um, George Clooney, and yeah, they were going to gather at the former president's mansion on Martha's Vineyard. I mean, really? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and what we know now, even, and apparently the people were asked if they were vaccinated, but the bottom line is what we know now is even if you're vaccinated, you need to wear a mask. So what kind of provisions are going to be made for that? So it just was, they didn't think, as we say, they didn't think that one through. They sure didn't. But at least, at least they're scaling back. Trying to clean it up. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know. Now, mm-hmm. I feel sorry for the people that were on the original list. And <laughs> now, they're <getting> <laughs> now, now they're getting kicked off, you know. So, you know, yeah. So, no, they, they shouldn't have had something like this in the first place. It should have been a much smaller event. And when I heard that he was having a party, I said, all right, well, he's having a party. I thought maybe 100 700. Yeah, that's I mean, crazy. Yeah. Come on now. Yeah. Come on now. Well, it did say, speaking of which, it did say that the Massachusetts um, governor, what is Charlie Baker, said on Tuesday, he was not invited to Obama's party. Right. And would have declined right. the invitation anyway. And then this is his remarks. I think 700 people at an event like that is not a good idea. And this is what Baker said. He said he was concerned about older people and people with illnesses that put them more at risk of a serious COVID-19 infection. And I was like, yeah, he's saying that now because he wasn't on the list. He wasn't on the list. You didn't get invited. So you're going to badmouth it, of course. Of course you would. Yeah. <laughs> He's talking all this stuff. I bet he would have been closed lipped. I bet he would have been closed lipped if he had been invited. But that's what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like yeah. well yeah. we'll take we'll take what you're saying with a grain of salt yeah, and everything. Of salt. <laughs> <laughs> with a cup full of salt. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. Big time. But at yeah. least they're scaling yeah. it back. So yeah. Yeah. So what's the latest, D? Well, the latest is I just wanted to mention the top 10 states now that are the states with the highest number of the Delta variant. Florida, followed by Louisiana, and we're going back to the place where we're running out of beds, running out of ICU beds. The patients tend to be younger. Arkansas, Oklahoma, Mississippi, Missouri, 
Alabama, Nevada, Alaska, and Texas. So if you're planning on going to any of those states, in recent times, you better be very careful. Wow. I've really kind of, Vicky, gone back in some situations to dra- dragging out my N95 mask. I know. Mm-hmm. In certain situations, I've gone back and dragged out my N95. I think we're getting to that point, and I think now I don't want to cause a rush in buying anything, but I think, you know, people might want to go and grab a couple of N95s just to have them. Yeah, it's time, because um, Nate keeps yeah. telling me that, too. Tell people to get their Lysol, their hand sanitizers, yeah, all that now. Yeah, all that stuff, yeah, all that stuff now because they're gonna we're gonna be going backwards to where we were a year ago when we ran out of Clorox and ran out of sanitizers and all of that. So I would encourage people to go on and get their stuff now, just to just in case. Just in case. Just in case. And so you you said that Kent State, I guess they made it mandatory. I think they just made that mandatory. To mask up. Yes, to mask up. Okay, good, good. And also I might mention New York. mm -hmm. New York now is coming out with you have to have a, a proof of vaccination in order to go to a Broadway show, an outdoor concert, restaurants, and a couple more things that Mayor de Blasio mentioned. He's not playing, and I don't blame him. I know, because look at little man. He's not playing. Just think of all those people that died just in New York. Yeah, he's not playing. He's not going to let this happen under his watch. And kudos to him. Yeah, kudos Shut it down. Shut it down. That's it. Shut it down. Yeah, Shut so. It down. But France, you know, we were talking about that last time. France is like that, where you got to have some type of passport. Yes. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And my friend said, you got to show something when you're out. That you're, you know, you can't, tra- you can't shop. I think you can shop in the evening for food or something of that nature. But you just can't be out on a stroll. They're clamping down. Yeah, they're clamping you know, people down. People are sick of this. People, you know, and, and, and this is, it's avoidable. We have a vaccine now. People can get vaccinated in this country. And we have countries that one of the things the World Health Organization called today on holding back on any booster shots because so many places in the world don't even have their first shot. Okay. Okay. And we have to have global herd immunity for this, not just herd immunity for the United States or Israel or France or Germany. We need global. We need we need herd immunity from some out lying country in guinea or i mean city or state or whatever mm-hmm. and and australia they don't have all the, i'm in contact with my friends in australia they don't have all that they should have mm. so yeah we got a lot lot of work to do in giving this vaccine out to people that haven't even had their first shot yet yeah it's time more to come more to come more to yeah. come yes thank you d so at the end Wear your mask and get vaccinated. Wear your mask and get vaccinated. Absolutely. That's it. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Vicki Haywood Doe. I just wanted to break in for a quick second and introduce to you the sponsor and creator of this show. It's the company I own, Haywood Doe Consulting Co., doing business as Vicky Doe Fitness. We are a health and wellness consulting company that specializes in designing and implementing medically integrated applied exercise physiology-based fitness wellness programs, initiatives, events, health promotion, and health education for special populations such as older folks, children, adolescents, overweight and obese individuals, cardiac rehab, women's health, and those who have chronic diseases. We have a team and network of healthcare professionals based out of Northeast Ohio, and we've worked with many companies, schools, churches, and organizations. If your goal is to transform your life by taking a holistic approach to living a life of health and total well-being, get in touch with us at info at To find out more about our own site and online programs and services, go to vikidofitness.com. And now back to the show. Well, today we talk about overcoming and conquering our fears. It is important that we learn to face our fears and anxiety head on 
to learn about them. One way to do that is to write down our thoughts and fears in a journal. And by writing them down, we demystify them and they no longer are as overwhelming. We need to overcome our fears, learn what and why we are fearful and conquer these fears once and for all so that we can start living a life of success and freedom. Now joining us is Dr. Tamika Ellington, a motivational speaker and entrepreneur and author. She will talk more on her personal story and her book, Make Fear Your Superpower. She will give us tips on how we can conquer our fears and be successful in our lives. So let's listen to the interview with Dr. Tamika Ellington. Now here with us today is Dr. Tamika Ellington, an internationally acclaimed awarded scholar, motivational speaker, entrepreneur, and author. For 15 years, Dr. Tamika served as a fashion design professor scholar at Kent State University in Kent, Ohio, and had the honor of serving as the university's director for diversity initiatives for a team of over 1,800 faculty, staff, and students. She was formerly the assistant dean for the College of the Arts at Kent State University, and she is the CEO and founder of her business, The First Generation Revolutionaries. Dr. Tamika grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and became the first in her family to attain a Bachelor of Arts in Fashion from Kent State University, a Master of Arts in Apparel and Textiles from Michigan State University, and a PhD in Curriculum and Instruction from Kent State University. Dr. Tamika's creative scholarship is inspired by African art and folklore. Her work has been shown internationally, including two exhibitions in Beijing, China. She is also the author of her two books, Make Fear Your Superpower and Be the Goat. Now today, Dr. Tamika Ellerton will share with us her personal story and discuss her inspirational book, Make Fear Your Superpower, a witty and real memoir that speaks to the inner courage that we all possess. She will give us tips on how we can overcome obstacles and become the exceptional person we need to be. So how are you today, Dr. Tamika? I am blessed, Dr. Vicki. Thank you for having me. Yes. And what do you say, Dr. D? Yeah, I say welcome. Very, very nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too, Dr. D. Can you talk with us about your life and share some of the challenges and fears you experienced growing up in Cleveland, Ohio? Tell us all about it. I know this story is going to be very interesting. <laughs> yes. You know, I have always been in Cleveland. My family never really moved around. Um, most of my family, I would say 90% of my family is still in Cleveland. Um, I'm one of the only ones that moved away from Cleveland. And, you know, the the inner city, growing up in the inner city, um, like any, you know, inner city, you know, poverty is always an issue. And so some of the fears that, you know, people deal with include the, you know, their safety, their own personal safety, their their security, food and shelter, you know, being afraid that maybe they may not have enough food to last until the end of the month. Or some people, you know, some of my friends, they moved around quite a bit because, you know, their parents couldn't afford to keep up with um, their apartments or whatever the case might be. But, you know, the inner city can be quite dangerous. And, you know, I remember Several years ago, I lived in a set of townhomes that were surrounded by apartment buildings, and it was all subsidized housing. And we were actually pretty pretty blessed to, to have a townhouse um, in that area um, because, you know, because it was subsidized housing, you know, my mother was always able to keep us in, you know, that particular location. We didn't have to move around as much as some of my friends did. But um, I remember we had a neighbor that was in a, the apartment building across the street from us who had gotten stabbed. Mm. And they came banging on our door, you know, asking for help. And, you know, those kinds of things happen quite often. I remember my mom and my brother both got robbed in front of, right, like right standing in front of the house, you know. So it's a, it's a constant 
uh, way of living, of, you know, being on guard. You're constantly on guard. You don't, you don't really have an opportunity to just relax and just be who you are, be at peace, because you're constantly either you're striving to survive, you're, you know, you know trying to make sure that you survive or, or making sure that you're always safe, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm, what can I say? I'm inspired, and I know a lot of folks will be inspired to see that even growing up, a lot of times it's not where you grow up or, or what uh, city you're from. It's really how you navigate it um, through life and you are successfully, you know, building your own path, you know. And so yes. that's what's yes. inspiring about about your story. Now, I want to ask you because a lot I didn't realize that quite a few folks don't really know what first generation is what does that mean tell yes. folks yeah yeah so first generation is a student who was the first person in their family to go to college and to earn a college degree the u.s government um, education the um, department of education defines a first generation student as a student whose parent neither mom or dad um, have a four-year degree i was first generation and um and, you know, it's like once you are first generation, you're always first generation. Uh, when you're first gen, um, there's a lot of struggle that comes with that. Um, about 50% of first gen students are also um, growing up in low-income backgrounds. So not only, you know, do they, you know, suffer from being, you know, almost kind of like on their own when it comes to trying to figure out school and everything, you know, they really don't have anybody at home that they can talk to because nobody else has experienced what they're going through. And mm -hmm. so... You know, having a, a lack of support at home and then also, too, having a lack of financial support, you know, first-generation students go through quite a bit. I mean, I, I sort of guess that that was the, um, the issue. And, you know, it's, it, for me, it's kind of interesting that we're in 2021 and people don't realize that there, there is a significant segment of the, pop, of the population, millennials and so forth, that are first-generation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And on any college campus, you know, depending on, you know, most public schools, about 30% to almost 50% of the students there may, may possibly be first generation. I know um, at Kent State University, we actually were just in an administrative meeting on yesterday, and uh, we found out that about 37% of students at Kent State University are first gen. Wow. wow. Yeah, that's a lot. That's good that universities are at least inquiring and getting that research so then they can um, be more prepared to set up resources for the yeah. students and so yes, I, absolutely I, mm -hmm. so do you think we're doing how we should do the universities or what do you think you know it depends on what school you go to some schools are better prepared than others okay um Kent State University it has been recognized as a first gen um I think it's called first gen success um, school, which means that they have significant support for first-generation students, which they do because they have um, several of the government-funded um, programs on their campus, such as the Upward Bound program, such as the um, McNair Scholars program. They also have a program called um, Student Success uh, Center, uh, which is specifically for students that are first-generation. So Kent State University, in the regard to first-gen students, has done a, a great job with support. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are other schools that still uh, don't have adequate resources for first-generation students. And a lot of times you'll see that with, you know, some of the smaller private schools. Okay. Um, you know, because of their demographic, you know, in, in possible locations, you know, some of those places are like in really small rural areas, and they really don't, they don't have the resources. They don't really understand what resources they even need to be able to support the first-gen students. I know I keep sticking on this first generation, but yes. <laughs> but that's your whole movement. You're the CEO and yes. founder of First Generation Revolutionary. So can you explain yes. what it's all about? Yes, absolutely. So First-generation revolutionaries um, is a movement that I created to support those students who are first-gen, as well as the faculty and staff that support those students. Mm -hmm. um, so through the platform, um, I provide them with professional development, networking opportunities, as well as spiritual fulfillment. Um, I truly believe that 
if you're going to be successful in this life, you can't just focus on just one of those things. You can't just focus on professional development or academics. You have to be a, a well-rounded person. You have to be a whole, you know, a whole individual, which includes, um, you know, tapping into that spiritual fulfillment as well. And so, you know, I'm a speaker, um, educator, um, author, um, and advocate for those first-gen students. And, you know, I truly believe that because I've gone through and I have firsthand knowledge about what it, what it means to be first-gen and the, the struggles that they have, you know, it's, it's my duty and my, you know, I, I really truly feel like God has placed this in my spirit to do and to be able to help, you know, continue to support those students beyond um, once they finish with college because, you know, many students, when they're in college, they have support, but once college is over, the support stops. And so my goal is to try to fill that gap is, you know, to try to give students the support that they need, you know, beyond college, you know, into their, um, into their career. Dr. Tamika, I wanted to, you just briefly mentioned it, but I heard your story, and a lot of people have forgotten about this. Tell us your experience with Upward Bound. I remember Upward Bound yes. when I was coming out of college in the late 60s, and I think I worked, I'm from, from North Carolina, and there was an Upward Bound program at Winston-Salem State University, and my mother was involved, and I was involved, and so forth. So yes. people don't realize how important that program mm-hmm. was. I think Akron, you had a program, mm-hmm. but a lot of lot of schools had that. Tell us about your experience with Upward Bound, and what was what yes. is the Upward Bound trio? You mentioned something about that on yes podcast that I heard. Yes, so the TRIO program is the umbrella program for all of the government-funded programs that work with first-gen students and students um, that are underrepresented. So um, TRIO includes Upward Bound Student Success Services. Um, It includes McNair Scholars, and they have a couple other programs also, too, that that are that fall within that trio umbrella, but um, okay. I I am also an upper bound alum. So when I was in high school, I mm-hmm. was also in upper bound. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an upper bound uh, that I went to at Tri C Community College mm-hmm. um, when I was in the high school, and um, upper bound for me was you know upper bound saved my life because it gave me the opportunity to see something different than than my block you know, something different than mm-hmm. what I was used to seeing because all students that uh-huh. are involved in Upper Bound, they get a chance to come to a college campus. Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. They get a chance to spend, um, you know, if you're in one of those programs that has a summer institute, the summer institute allows for the students to come and spend about five to six weeks living on campus and taking classes on campus. Um, and mm-hmm. so, you know, just getting the opportunity to be on a college campus really helped to ignite my desire to want to be on a college campus, you know, mm-hmm. once I finished high school. Yes, yeah, so mm-hmm. Upper Bound is an amazing program, and, you know, since I've been at the fashion school, um, I've had the honor of teaching a fashion class for Upper Bound high school students probably for about almost a decade. Mm. I oh, taught, wow. Um, the fa- yeah, the Upper Bound fashion students, or Upper Bound students, uh, a fashion class, and we would do fashion shows in the summer, you know, at the Summer Institute and other, pro- you know, exhibitions we've done. Great. So it's been it's been a lot of fun. I love working with first-gen students. Oh, that's awesome. Great. And speaking of which, when it comes to just students, period, I, I still, in fact, I got a few calls last week, but I'm like, mm, I don't know yet if this student was trying to do an internship or shadowing from YSU, I always have a few from Kent, mm-hmm. because even though, you know, I'm busy and I have my business, I always advocate that we let the students, you know, come and shadow or um, yeah. have some type of program within our businesses so that they can see, because a lot of folks, a lot of students don't know really what they want to be when they grow up, Absolutely. even though they're taking the courses to be what they need to be. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, I think right. I think it's great to have you, you know, really advocating and helping students, you know, navigate after they get out, you know, because we know look at look at how I, I'm just listening to you. Look how we change over time 
our career direction, but it's still yes. it's still a part of who we are in our career, right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, yes. Yeah, so I just really kudos to you for definitely being an advocate and then for the first generation um, students out there. You know, you, you are in the fashion. I get excited to see our yes. sisters in the fashion world. So share with us your perspective and insight about the world of fashion and um, academia from the perspective of an African-American woman. And is it as diverse as, you know, it could be uh, probably not? Uh, what you think? You know, the fashion industry you know, is a representation of our overall society. And we still, in many areas of our overall society, have issues with lack of um, inclusion. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the fashion industry is no, no exception of that. Even though people may believe that the fashion industry is a diverse industry, it's still heavily owned by um, white individuals. Um, there's a, a humongous... Um, Jewish population that also owns uh, a great deal of the fashion industry. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, um, black and brown people are, are pushed out. Even if you think about things such as like beauty products, a lot of times when you go to um, try to shop at Macy's or something or, or whatever the, the department store might be, and you're looking for makeup for brown skin tone, oftentimes you have a hard time finding it, right? Mm -hmm. Because... The fashion industry is still geared towards individuals with lighter skin tones. And so, you know, even when you're looking at um, big companies um, that have, you know, these major influence over, you know, over our society, such as Nike or, you know, some of these other ones, Kohl's or whatever the, you know, company might be, most of the time the individuals that are making the decisions do not include people of color. Mm. You know, so it's, there's a, a lack of diversity throughout the industry, mm -hmm. as well as um, when you look at academia, um, the, the apparel and textile industry is what we call it in ac academia. There's also a lack of black people, um, African-American or any black person within the, the um, diaspora, there are a lack of black people. Personally, I am actually the very first African-American professor ever at the School of Fashion. Mm. Yeah. And um, coming into that position was not easy. I fought my way through the whole process mm -hmm. and still continue to fight, you know, while I'm there, mm -hmm. um, which is also to one of the reasons why I decided to step away mm -hmm. is because I no longer want to, to fight that fight. Mm -hmm. um, but it was it was difficult. It's difficult um, being the only one, mm -hmm. you know. You know, um, mm -hmm. I I was a little bit. And you're absolutely right. For a number of years until she, her name is Nanette Lapore, and she's from mm -hmm. New York, but she's from Youngstown, Ohio. And during that time that I was with her, you know, the big thing was the fashion shows in New York in February and September. And you go through there, and you're right. I mean, there was a paucity of black uh, models, and, um, you know, some of the designers did try to, some of them tried to go out of their way to do that, but it really primarily is a white-oriented industry. Um, yes, absolutely. For a number, for a number of reasons. Um, and, you know, they, you know, they don't get the sponsors that they want. And then, you know, of course, there was also that, that person, the, you know, I think some of the designers, too, didn't want their clothes on people of color models. I think that was a problem yeah. for, for a while. You know, well, correct you know, me if I'm wrong. Yes. And you are, you are correct. Um, there, there was an article that came out several years ago, and I think it was in British Vogue, or it was one of the editors or someone from the British Vogue talking about the fact that um, black bodies don't sell merchandise. Right. And that's the reason, yes, and that's the reason right. why they have such a difficult time, you know, um, with, you know, the black models getting jobs because supposedly black bodies don't sell merchandise. So, yeah, it's been a problem. So at the end of the yes. day, we still have problems across the industry, whether it's fashion, whether it's health, education, there's still a problem with diversity and accepting of diverse folks, right? Absolutely, yes. 
Yeah, I just want to know where did you? I was listening to your story. You were raised by a single mom, and you know you went yes. to Upper Brown. But when you listen to your story, you know where where did you get your courage from? I'm mm-hmm. thinking about all the things that you talked about. And, you know, I remember when you were trying to get tenure, when you were trying to get a professorship at Kent State, yes. you weren't going to yes. stop, and you were tenacious, and you were just going to go back, and you got your PhD, and you did this. And where did you get the? Was it your mom? Was it the your friends with your mom? Where did you get your your umph, your courage, your push? Because a lot of kids don't have that if they have two parents. You know, um, I, I can say that it did not come from my family. My courage, my tenacity, it came from a desire to want something different. Mm. You know, um, I really did not want the lifestyle that I grew up in. I knew that there was something better in me. And I think that 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 feeling of knowing that there was something better, it was something that came from God. God was constantly putting in my mind that there was something else Mm. for me. And I didn't have support from my family. And I still, unfortunately, I still don't have Mm. support from my family. And so, you know, my desire to want a different lifestyle is really what was my motivation. And once I became Mm. an educator, my desire to want to to, to, to be an example, Mm. you know, I wanted to be an example. If I can be an Mm -hmm. example of what can be done, then I've done my job. Wow. Mm -hmm. Well, that's good. So that leads us to talk about your book, Make Fear Your Superpower, and what was your uh, motivation for writing it? The motivation for writing that book, you know, really came from, of course, you know, my life experiences and and, and really and truly my experience being in the fashion school as the only black professor, the first and only black professor. Um, like I mentioned before, you know, growing up in the inner city, you know, there's always this, this, this underlying, you know, essence of fear, you know, that you have growing up. When I got a chance to go to college, um, I had that level of fear, the, the level of the safety and the security factor fear you know, I was able to kind of overcome that. However, you know, going to school at a predominantly white institution, it brought on a different kind of fear, you know, a fear that I'd never experienced before. Mm. You know, growing up in the inner city, most people are black. And so when I went to a predominantly white institution, um, I experienced my first taste of racism. And so that was a different level of fear that I had to maneuver through. Mm. And once, uh, you know, I decided to, you know, to become a professor and, you know, coming into the fashion school, being the first one, it took a lot of gut for me to continue to come back because I... It sure did. It sure yes, did. Yes, yes, yes. It took I mean, a lot of gut. It sure um, did. Yeah. I was mm-hmm. thinking about, because I was involved with that school for a while, and I was thinking, you know, all the time that you were talking, I was thinking, well, I wonder who that was. I wonder who that was. I wonder who that was. And mm-hmm. you were just fearless. Kudos yeah. to you, my sister. Thank you. And, you know, it was for me, it was it was that I wanted something different and I wanted to be an example. And, you know, when I first started, you know, the process of wanting to become a full time professor, because I was actually working there part time while I was getting my Ph.D. Mm -hmm. Um, I was teaching one or two classes, you know, here or there. And when I finished up all of my coursework, um, a full-time position came, became available, and I applied for it and didn't get it. And because I was there, you know, as a part-time base, on a part-time basis, I saw who was, you know, was able to, to get the position instead of me. A second one came up, and I applied for that one, and I didn't get that one either. And then a, a third job came up, I applied for that one, and I also did not get that one either. When I didn't get the third position, you know, I looked back and I saw this pattern of, you know, who was getting the job instead of me. And when I noticed Mm -hmm. that everybody that they'd hired instead of me were white women who had less education than I did, I knew that something had to be done. And so I went to, you know, some of my mentors and I talked to them about what was going on. And they helped me to file an affirmative action case against the fashion school. And that's how I ended up getting my job. Mm. Well, I have been I've been in and out of Kent State University for a long time and have sat with some search committees and diversity stuff. And I remember saying maybe two months ago, I forgot what meeting Zoom meeting I was on. But I remember saying to everyone, listen, you know, we keep talking about diversity. I've been talking about it since 
me being there, what, 2000, 2000, 2002. And at this point, you just got to do the damn thing, you know, instead of just talk about it. Absolutely. That's it. Put your money where your mouth is. That's it. And stop insulting people, period. Yeah. And that's a whole, yeah, I could do a whole show on that. But we will move forward. Yes, yes, yes. So people reading your book, it talks about overcoming our fears. But I love how you say make fear your superpower. For African-Americans out there, everybody, but most especially for African-Americans, we have a lot of stuff that we have to deal with, but most especially our own fears. So as we close out, what major tips would you give us to help us to overcome our fears and to make fear our superpower? Some of the the fears that I think are plaguing the black community the most is the, the fear of poverty. Poverty because, you know, we still unfortunately are suffering the, the effects of systematic racism and, and, you know, job discrimination and that kind of thing. So we still have that to deal with. And many of us still, you know, I mean, black women still, you know, are one of the lowest paid, you know, people um, in whatever profession they, they may be. So that fear of poverty, we still have in many ways a fear of safety, whether it's in our neighborhoods or whether it's with the police or, you know, whether it's, you know, within, you know, in corporate America, you know. Mm-hmm. And another fear, another fear that we have is a fear of our own selves. Uh, many black people, we still live under a brainwashed mentality where we just don't love ourselves enough mm. to see our value, you know, and, mm. and those are some of the fears that I talk about in the book. So I have nine strategies, you know, that I, that I offer to my readers mm-hmm. to help them overcome their fears. But particularly for black people, um, number four says, understand that God made us all equal mm. and we all have the same opportunities. And it's important for for us to feel that way because for so long, you know, because of, you know, slavery, you know, our roots in slavery, you know, we, a lot of us believe that society is keeping us back. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in Mm -hmm. some ways that may be true, but what I really want to drive home to our community is that we have more power than we think we have, you know, to be able to change our lives. We have more power than we think we have. We think that somebody has their thumb on us. Mm-hmm. And that they can they can limit what our possibilities are, but if we you know were to change our perspective about that and to to release you know society from some of that power and to bring that power to our own you know to to us to our own communities, mm-hmm. you know we can do some amazing things. Yes, we can. Yes. So what do you have to say, D? Well, I was just thinking, you know, but with that too, you know, we need resources and access to resources mm-hmm. to yeah. make things happen. You know. Rather than the, you know, it, we all, we have our, we certainly have our rhetoric, but I'm just sitting here thinking, we, how can we also provide and get more resources to make a lot of these things happen? You know, in, in my mind, and I know this is easier said than done, but mm-hmm. one thing that we, you know, we can't depend on is that we can't depend that we're going to get resources from others. So in many ways, right. we have to make our own resources. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to develop those resources ourselves because we're not going to, we can't depend. Because if we keep depending on someone to give us the resources, then we're back to where we started with, right. you know, having, you know, society's thumb on us, mm-hmm. you know, because, they're, right. you know, they're saying, oh, we, we didn't give them resources. And, you know, we can talk all day long about that. And I know that, you know, reparations has been something that we've been talking about for a long time now, and it's come up more you know, uh, recently with everything else that's going on, it would be a blessing if, you know, the United States decided to give black people reparations, the reparations that we deserve. However, if they don't, that should not be a reason for us not to succeed. That's it. It shouldn't be. That's it. You know, one of the things that I find out that I'm on the alumni board for our medical school, and I'm just going to throw this out there, it's it's not a a pleasant subject, but we as African Americans don't give back monetarily to our schools and our places of, you know, that have helped Mm -hmm. us. And when we go back 
when we are go- when I go and I'm asking money from my African American medical colleagues about donating to the school when other white members have donated, you know, however much money they have, you know, I get this pushback. So we we mm. need to step up our mm. game as well. Yes, yes, you know, look at the black yes, alumni. Yes. I know they do a lot at Kent State, but we could always do more. That's it. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Yes, and so yes. that's about changing our mindset because you know yes, it is. we we've been bamboozled and hoodwinked to think that mm-hmm. that everything else others helping others and all their community is more valuable than our community and we don't right. help our own community and we see that all the time yeah. we see that we all don't. the time in business because I always talk about yes. it and it's supposed to be yeah. that networking thing but we're learning we're, we're getting there we're getting yeah. there I will have to say that folks are becoming more woke to that fact that we definitely have to help ourselves first absolutely that's it instead of pulling each other down because you know we still many of us Oh, you know, yeah. still have that crab in the barrel mentality. Oh, you know, we they do. do. We absolutely do. Yes. We absolutely yes. do. You have written, and your mantra is revolutionize your thinking. Is that what we need to do? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, being for me, like being a revolutionary thinker is someone who must be someone who is fearless. You must be somebody who lives with integrity, and and does all things with excellence. Um, When you're revolutionary, you're not afraid to be, do, or think different than other people around you. And I think that was something that um, I learned, you know, at an early age. I mean, I was very different. You know, I was the anomaly in my neighborhood. You know, I was one of the only people in my neighborhood to go to school and to get a degree. And unfortunately, I'm still the only person in my family to get a degree. And I had to be a revolutionary thinker if I was going to get myself out of the situation that I was in. And mm-hmm. so revolutionizing your thinking just gives you the opportunity to, to change your life and to change other people's lives. Wow. Listen, we can talk all day, and I'm just, I'm just very proud to have you come to our show and, and share with us all of these good thoughts and tidbits, right? Tibbets for us, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. I want to ask, how can people get in touch and buy? You have two books. Today we were talking about mm-hmm. Make Fear Your Superpower, but you have another book yes. called what? Be the Goat? Yes, Be the Goat, Career Readiness Manual for First-Generation Students and Young Professionals. Okay. So both of those books are available on Amazon, uh, so they can be purchased there. And people can get in touch with me. I'm on Facebook, Tamika. T-A-M-E-K-A dot Ellington, Ph.D., and they can get in touch with me on Instagram, um, Dr. Tamika Ellington, and on LinkedIn, Dr. Tamika Ellington. And so, Dee, do you have anything to add to this? No, it was a pleasure. And, uh, you know, Dr. Vicki will, you know, let you know how to get in touch with me because I would like to continue the dialogue about donation and giving back to the fashion school. Yes, yes. Okay. Yes, I would love to talk to you, Dr. D. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Well, this ends our show, D. So do you have some tips that we should think about? Yes. It was a great, great interview with Dr. Ellington. I mean, she certainly is a tenacious woman. And I really enjoyed hearing her story, her journey, and how she overcame her fears because she really did have quite a journey. And, and showed us. I mean, for me, I think I learned some lessons about stepping out there and, and dealing with the fears that you have and ultimately becoming successful, as she has shown us. Yes, becoming successful. And I love how that she is, because she's a first-generation student, how she's giving back and she's helping. She's helping with personal growth and development and resources, that's the most important thing, resources, right, to other first-generation right. students. And I love Correct. that she's doing that. And her book, right. Make Fear Your Superpower, that's what you got to do. You got to go yeah. and, and face those fears and challenges, even down to you. You might be holding you back. <laughs> Exactly. Your own worst enemy. Right. And so learning how to, what does she call it? 
uh, revolutionize your thinking. I love that, right? Right, right. Yes, and her book, her book gives a lot of strategies for that. I want all of you guys to go on Amazon and get her book. Go to her website, Make Fear Your Superpower. What else do you have to say, Dee? Anything else? For everybody, yes, I do have something to say. Mask up and get vaccinated. Yes, yes, yes. And for more information about Dr. Tamika Ellerton and her book, Make Fear Your Superpower, go to her website, drtamikaellerton.com. That's Dr. D-R Tamika Ellerton. Com. And as always, for more information, go to our website, vikidofitness.com. And remember, if you have any questions, comments, or just something to say, tweet us, email us, go on Facebook, and share with us your thoughts. You've been listening to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. Vicki Doe is owner of Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum, a place to discuss, learn, and participate in healthy living. You can get in touch with Vicki by email at info at vickidofitness.com.